We'll be reading in the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, verses 6 through 9 for our text. The prophecy here of Zechariah, starting with verse 6, he says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, should it also be marvelous in mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, that ye... Ye that hear in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets, which were in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. Zechariah, uh, along with Haggai, were two prophets that the Lord used to stir the children of Israel, the remnant that had returned. They had returned previously. The, from what I'm able to read, they returned initially in 538 B.C., under the decree of Cyrus, king of Persia. And they started a work. They laid the foundation of the temple. They built an altar. But then they ran into some challenges, and the work was not completed. Um, And it remained that way for quite some time. And so God um, stirred up the hearts of Haggai and Zechariah, gave them these prophecies. And both of them are credited with uh, encouraging the people and being the instruments that God used to encourage the people Uh, to continue the work to build the temple, which was uh, completed in roughly 516 B.C. and was dedicated. So there was about a 20-year lull there. And uh, they came in, both Haggai and Zechariah, around about 520. Um, And so they were spurring the people into action to complete the work. And I'm going to read, this is uh, just a note. This is from a a Holman KJV study Bible um, in the introduction to Zechariah. And the note says, the method Zechariah adopted was to criticize the worldview that was dominant in the thinking of the Israelites and to energize them with the possibility of a completely new reality. Now that's a note, but I rather like it. The remnant was discouraged. They had uh, the support of Cyrus when they initially came, and uh, things were going well. I think they had uh, a passion, and, and they were started the work, and then things got difficult, and they quit. They were a people that was really still struggling with their identity. They had faced uh, just some of about the worst things that you can face as a people in that time. They had been conquered, their temple had been destroyed, their city had been sacked, many of their leaders had been killed, they had been exiled into a foreign country. And while they were still under the rule of the Persian Empire, and they were allowed to come back, they were still very much trying to understand their relationship with their God and what He had in store for them. In the book of Zechariah, um, it uses a lot of images, a lot of prophecies, a lot of pictures. I don't pretend to understand it all. But Zechariah, he made it clear that their sins is what caused them to ultimately go into exile. It says that he adopted the method, and of course we know that the Holy Spirit inspired Zechariah. It's not to say that Zechariah came up with this on his own. 
But I do believe that God uses different people with different perspectives and different uh, ways of presenting information. Um, I preach differently than a lot of people that I know. That can bother me sometimes, but may God use it. Zechariah's approach was very different than Haggai's in the prophecies that he had. Criticizing the worldview, so he made it clear that their beliefs, that their discouragement, that their, the sins of the fa- their fathers and, and what they had gone through, that it didn't have to be that way, but it was going to require a, a turn to God. Amen. The words turn and return, things like that are used fairly often in the book of Zechariah. But then I want to focus, it says that uh, he wanted to energize them with the possibility of a completely new reality. And so Zechariah gives some amazing prophecies of blessing to the remnant of the children of Israel. And we look at where in verse 6 it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, should it also be marvelous in mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts. What Zechariah was telling them almost to them seemed too good to be true. They had just gone through such devastation. They had seen and felt the wrath of God for their disobedience, their idolatry, their sins, their social sins, and how they treated the poor, the widows, the orphans. And now they are getting these great prophecies of blessing. And perhaps they weren't sure what to make of it and Maybe it it seemed almost unbelievable to them. But they were being encouraged to do a work. They were being encouraged to build the temple, to dedicate to God. And Zechariah cared a lot more than about the temple. The temple was just a picture. It was something that was important for their culture. But he cared about their hearts. He cared about their hearts to build the temple, to dedicate, to focus, to make God in service to Him, being obedient to Him, a priority in their lives. Zechariah really didn't care that much about the situation around them. He didn't reference, we we get some uh, information, some background in the book of Ezra about some of the challenges that they faced with enemies, with discouragement, with... uh, Um, political things that were going on. But Zechariah wanted their hearts to the work. He didn't tell them to wait for their surroundings to change, for their environment to change. He wasn't that concerned really about the king of Persia or the Persians or Sanballat or some of the enemies or the Gentiles and what they were doing. He was laser-focused on the people of God and their relationship to their God. Fast forward a little bit. There was a man named Jesus. Perhaps you've heard of him. There was a bit of a difficult environment he was working in. The Jews were part of the Roman Empire. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, their hearts were far from God. And they were concerned. They wanted a Messiah. They weren't anti-Israel. 
but they had their picture of what the Messiah was going to be, who he was going to be, what he was going to do, and Jesus did not fit that picture. And they were a lot more concerned about their own righteousness and their the own perception of their righteousness. And Jesus called them out on that. But they really wanted to be out of the Roman rule. They wanted a Messiah that was going to come and he was going to be a, a great warrior and he was going to break the yoke of the Roman Empire. And I'm sure in their minds, they would truly be able to be God's people. They would have their freedom. They wouldn't have to be subject to Rome. And they would be free and open to to worship and and be who they wanted to be. And that's not the Messiah that they got. (laughs) It's not the Messiah they needed. So Jesus came and he criticized the worldview that was dominant in the thinking of the Israelites. Jesus got brought into some uh, political games, taxation, Pilate and his ways of trying to ingratiate himself, himself with leaders and all these things. Jesus really didn't have a lot to say about that. He didn't spend his time criticizing the Roman Empire, the Roman Emperor, and talking about how all of that needed to change and how that the people needed to wait around for them to be out of the Roman Empire so that they could truly serve God. No, he cared. He was laser-focused. And he knew, of course he knew he's the Son of God, but he knew about the Spirit, about that inner man, and he knew what the possibilities were, and he related that on to the early church about the possibility of a completely new reality. Of course, there is a completely new reality for everyone that's saved by the grace of God. But I actually want us to look a little bit beyond just salvation. Jesus didn't come. His purpose, it wasn't so that people would not go to hell and they would go to heaven. And that's it. It was mentioned yesterday, he wants our hearts. And when hearts are changed, and that spirit starts transforming from the inside out, there's a possibility of a completely new reality. And it doesn't matter if you're in the Persian Empire. It doesn't matter if you're in the Roman Empire. It doesn't matter if you're in the United States of America. It doesn't matter of the environment you're in. God works in the heart and He can transform lives. He does. Fast forward a few thousand years and... uh, Here we are. 
And you know, there's a place to criticize the worldview that is dominant in the thinking of society today. And I want to make a point. We have to talk about what society is promoting. We have to make sure that we promote an accurate picture of right and wrong, moral and immoral. But sometimes it feels like God's people are waiting for our society, for our government, for our leaders to get on the same page as us and for the laws and the culture and the everything to align up so that we can truly serve God and be the people that we need to be. And I understand discouragement about our country. There's nothing wrong with loving our country. There's nothing wrong with having a desire for our country to be righteous and acceptable to God and aligned with His values. But I care a lot more about Jesus than I do about my country. Those empires of Persia and Rome, they're no longer around. I don't know about our country. I'm not a prophet. I'm not going to tell you exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. But look beyond. Look inside. Let's not be afraid to criticize the worldview of not them, but us. What we focus on, what we care about, where our priorities are. Whether we are dedicated to the work of God. And let us care about a spiritual transformation that God works from the inside out that permeates and affects every aspect of our lives. Everything can be different. There's a possibility of a completely new reality. And we need to be energized. Our people need to be energized. Yes, maybe there's discouragement. Yes, maybe we're not quite certain about how to go about the work. We feel that lost hearts are hard. We feel that society doesn't care. We feel like we're up against the wall. But there's a work to do. And we need to be energized And we need to have that vision, that picture of what a reality as God's people can be. What can life look like with holiness and dedication to God? I'm not a prophet. I said that before. I can't guarantee specific blessings. As Zechariah was getting, the Spirit was directing him and he was prophesying these blessings of things to come, of blessings God was going to bestow upon his people. So I can't tell you exactly specific things that are going to happen in the future. 
But I believe we have enough from God's Word to know how this works. Amen. And we need to bring it into our society today. What does it look like today? What does holiness and dedication to God look like? In the Old Testament, it was important to, uh, to help take care of the poor. It's still important today. They were not to glean their fields. They were supposed to leave some of it behind and the poor would come and they would scavenge and get food. Now, I don't know how many of you, I doubt very many of you are growing large gardens and expecting strangers to roam onto your property and start picking things off of your garden. But the heart is still there. The need is still there. How are we going to approach it as God's people? What does our relationship with money look like? What does our relationship with food look like? What does our relationship with our spouses look like? Our children, our brothers and sisters in Christ. What is the possibility of the reality that God has in store for a holy people that are dedicated to Him? That are striving in their daily lives to find those things that need to be removed, to find those things that need to be added in our daily lives, in whatever moments that we need to fill them up with or we need to eliminate. How do we get closer to God? And what is the vision of what that can look like for us as God's people? And that vision, it doesn't require the outside environment to change. I pray it does. But beyond that, I pray that God's people find their connection with God, find how they can be transformed and how it will permeate in their lives so that the outside world will see we want things to change. May it start with our lives. May it start with our attitudes. May it start with us. May it start with me. I'm still trying to figure some of these things out. We talk about sanctification and being set apart for the Lord's work. What that looks like in daily life can sometimes be a challenge. It requires prayer. It requires self-reflection. Let us energize God's people. Let us make sure they know the possibility of what life can look like. As God's transforming us from the inside out. It's wonderful to be saved by the grace of God. But I want a transformed life. And I want the people around me to see it and to know it is the work and the grace 
of a mighty God through a loving Savior in Jesus Christ. But I want to be excited about the possibilities of what God's going to do in my life. I want you to do the same. And I want us to get that out to the people.